0: week Bible study. This session was recorded on October 25th by Mike Hess. We apologize for the audio interruptions. Hey, good evening. Uh, So privileged and blessed to be with you tonight. And am I on or do I have a button that I need to? I think I'm on now. All right. What a blessing, what a privilege it is to come and and um, gather around the word and be well-fed right in the middle of the week. So we are so blessed to be a part of McGregor. We're grateful for this church. We love coming to church here. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Love it. We look forward to Sundays, and I pray that in our own lives and in your life, you never take for granted that every single Sunday, you're gonna be well-fed from the word, Uh, You're going to hear theologically sound music that points our affections and our hearts to the glory of God, and we're going to be challenged and convicted from the word. We are truly blessed people. So with that in mind, go ahead and grab your Bible. Let's look at Psalm 130 tonight. We're going to consider the 130th Psalm, and a phrase that has become popular over the past several years is the phrase, safe space. How many have ever heard that phrase, safe space before? According to Oxford Dictionary, it's a place or environment in which a person or category of people can feel confident that they will not be exposed to discrimination, criticism, harassment, or any other emotional or physical harm. So just as a lot of biblical words and even biblical symbols have been hijacked from the world. I'm going to hijack that phrase. And I'm going to take it and apply it to us as followers of Christ who come into the presence of God. Where can we go and be authentic every single day and come and before someone who knows everything about us? As A.W. Tozer said decades ago, Jesus Christ is the only one who knows everything about you and knows the worst about you yet still chooses to love you. Where can we go every day that's a safe space for us and we can pour out our hearts before him and be real and be authentic and at times we we have real shame and we have real guilt and and at times we should feel guilty. We should feel shame for what we've said and what we've acted upon and, and the things that we have ruminated on in our hearts And we can come before him, and we can pour out our hearts before him. And I would propose to you tonight that the place where we should be most at home as followers of Jesus is in his his presence and with his word before us. I am most at home when his word is open. I am most out of sync and most out of sorts when I am not close to his word. And how many of you would agree that it's in all of our best interests to be close to him in an authentic, genuine relationship that's heartfelt and cries out to him, doesn't play games, and we confess our sins, we're real before him, and we cry out to him out of the depths of our hearts, we cry out to our great God. And all of us today would probably say to some extent we're busy, but nobody's busier than God. But he is such a good, kind, and loving God that he hears us through the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, every time we call out to him. We are so blessed and privileged as priests of God, are we not? And I want to just dive into this where we can come into the very presence of God as this psalm implores us to do and where we can be real and we can really truly express our fears, sins we're ashamed of, we're embarrassed of, things we hope people never find out about us, the thoughts we're struggling with, the burdens we find too heavy to carry, the anxieties we have that God tells us to cast upon him and actually share them with someone who can handle them. And I want us to have a greater view of God as we look at this psalm. So let's pick it up in verse one, if you would. Let's read all eight verses, and then we'll go back and systematically, expositionally break it down. So Psalm 130, and let's look at verse one. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This brings us tonight to the 130th Psalm. So over the last few Wednesday nights, we've been looking at the Psalms of Ascent. There's 15 of them, which represent a pilgrimage that they would take To Jerusalem. When you go to Jerusalem, many of you know this, you go up. And why is this in your Bible? Well, the book of Psalms, which is my favorite book of the Bible, because it shows the ups and downs, the roller coasters of life in a real, genuine, authentic way. Somebody said years ago, I don't know who said this, but the book of Psalms is really the soundtrack of life. That's why they resonate with us so well. And this is why when I read these in the morning, it speaks to me in real life, even though this was written way before my time, way before your time. But anyone who would ever say, scripture's not relevant, has never read the book of Psalms. They've never dived into this awesome, wonderful book. These were hymns that they would sing. And, and sometimes I wonder, like, you know, as they would sing these songs, how exactly would, you know, I could, I could picture you singing the 23rd Psalm. But when I think of Psalm 51, how would you sing that one? If you know what that Psalm is, the Psalm of David's Confession after his sin of adultery. So when we think of this, think of God's majestic character, worshiping God, singing to God, crying out to God in difficult circumstances. And that brings us to this Psalm tonight, where the psalmist is crying out to God, from the depths of his heart. And he reminds himself of an important characteristic of God's character. Several things we're gonna look at tonight. I still remember the first time as a 17-year-old boy who had only been saved for a few months, uh, growing up in a home that was completely unchurched, Um, growing up as somebody who mocked the Bible, didn't believe the Bible, and my functional God was sports. And I remember when God saved me Christmas break of my senior year that you know, I couldn't get enough of church, I couldn't get enough of the Bible, couldn't get enough of gathering with God's people. And I still remember as a 17-year-old boy in a, in a small church in the suburbs of Chicago being called on to pray for the very first time. And man, I wanted to sound so polished. I wanted everybody to know my position on infra, infralapsarianism versus superlapsarianism in light of God's eternal decrees as I prayed. I wanted everybody to know that I was solid in Trinitarian doctrine. And, and I think sometimes as, as Christians, we can fall into what I fell into in a very prideful way as a 17-year-old boy of being performance-centered and not heartfelt when we come before God. And having this kind of heart attitude when we come before our Heavenly Father, like this psalm, like Jesus in Gethsemane, like David encourages us in Psalm 62, verse 8 pour out your heart before Him, cry out to Him, a real, genuine, authentic relationship with the Lord in His Word. So, the big idea for tonight, just a central idea to put everything around tonight. Reminders about the character of God give us an authentic walk with God. Reminders of the character of God give us an authentic walk with God. So here as we find in Psalm 130, one of the themes of this, the word is not there, but the theme is in its repentance. Not a popular subject today where so many equate salvation with praying a tacit prayer, uh, just dissenting a little bit of faith in Jesus where they kind of use Jesus as a surgeon. You know, the way we kind of look like if we have cancer, we want them to get the surgeon, the, get that cancer out of our body, but then we have no more use for him. And I think in many realms of, a, of American Christianity, that's how they think about Jesus. Where many equate uh, Christianity was simply they signed a card, they walked an aisle, they raised a hand, but that's not simply biblical Christianity. That is not the way the Bible defines a Christian. Um, a gospel without heart change is not really a biblical gospel. And to that, all God's people can say, there's not a biblical gospel at all. The style of this psalm does something interesting. This is why I love to read this. It's kind of like an up and down, up and down. It's like, it's like a spiritual burpee. You go from one extreme to the other, You find this over and over again. So when God is our safe space, I wanna give us some thoughts here as we break this text down. When when the safest place for us to be, and I believe this with all my heart that it is, to be in the very presence of God on a daily basis, when he is our safe space, first thought is this, we'll cry out honestly to him. There's not a lot of people that, that many of us feel we can be totally honest with, about deep, embarrassing struggles, things we're going through, things that are weighing down on our hearts. There's not a lot of people we feel that sort of relational equity with, but you should always feel that way with God. That's the safest place we could be. Take a look again at the words of of, uh, verses one and two, and just let this resonate in your hearts. Let the words speak to your heart, and notice what the words say. Out of the depths... I cry, notice second person plural here, to you, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Some translations say to my supplications. So let your ears be attentive to me. This is the language and expression of a man with a troubled heart. And no one goes through life without having a troubled heart, at least several times over. We all go through that. Could be you today, could be you right now, that you walked into church tonight with a knot in your stomach and a real burden that you're carrying. Sin has this effect on people. And if you've done any amount of counseling in life and any kind of discipleship and one-on-one mentorship with people, uh, nobody ever comes to me and says, you know, my, my, my life's going really great. I have made a ton of selfish decisions in life and my life's going so much better because of my selfish decisions. It is so great, my marriage is better, my friendships are better, my children are better, because I've been so selfish in life. How many of us are old enough to realize sin brings despair, amen? It brings despair, it has this effect, and it also does this, it leaves us feeling empty. Look at the world. And Mick Jagger was totally right in the early 80s when he said, I can't get no satisfaction. You know why? Because he never read Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's where we find our satisfaction, in the presence of God. And Psalm 32 is a good example of what sin does to somebody. I want you to listen to the words of David as he laments about his unconfessed sin in Psalm 32, verse three. Just pay attention to these words. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. If anyone can relate to that last part of the verse, it's those of us who live in Southwest Florida. It's like your strength is just drained by that heat. Never forget this fact. God loves his children so much that he will never allow us to live joyfully and peacefully in sin. It can happen. We can continue to make sinful decisions, but you will not be joyful. And you will not have peace because God loves you too much to allow that to happen. We often think of the love of God as this warm, cuddly, fuzzy, nice wind off, coming off the back of my neck type of thing that you find maybe on the shelf of a nice Christian bookstore. But the The love of God is also a disciplining love. It's a chastising love. It's a rebuking love that draws us closer to him. So because God loves you, and because God loves me, and because God loves his children, he will never let us Be joyful in sin. So I want you to say this with me. Sin will lead me to despair. Can you say that with me? Sin will lead me to despair. Now I wish we could say that. Because we've said that, we'll never sin again. That's probably not our track record though. But we do know this. Sin will lead us to despair. Think of John 10, verse 10. Jesus told his followers this. The thief comes not before to steal and to kill and to destroy, but he juxtaposes it with this. But I have come that you might have life, and you might have it more abundantly. Think of what Jesus said the last night of his earthly life. In John 15, verse 11, I have said these things unto you so that you might live a financially wealthy and healthy life. Is that what he said? No. He said, I've said these things to you that you might have what? Joy. Real, true joy. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's genuine joy that doesn't come from the outside, it comes from the inside in a deep personal relationship with God. This is where the Christian life begins. I'm a sinner. I recognize that. You don't have to take too long or come up with a lot of evidence to convince me of that. The first time somebody shared the gospel with me, that's what they said to me. You're a sinner. And they showed me that from God's word. I cannot forgive myself. That whole notion is simply not found in the Bible. I cannot forgive myself. I cannot get to God on my own. I need God to come to me and reach down and bring me to himself. My sin has offended a holy and a righteous God. And I was dead in my sin, and I needed to be made alive by an all-powerful and all-sufficient God who is full of forgiveness and full of grace and full of truth, And he did this through the death, the all-satisfying death of his son Jesus on the cross, who was placed in a borrowed tomb that we often forget this part. I don't think we forget it, but we don't quite think about it, I think, enough, that it was sealed shut and was guarded by several soldiers. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. Now, if you believe that with all of your heart, I want you to say amen. amen. I need to be reminded of that every single day. Every single day. And notice the text here. Look again at verse 1. Notice how he prays. Out of the depths of his heart. No attempt to excuse sin. He doesn't make himself out to be a victim. He doesn't blame others. And there's only two kinds of people in the world. There's those who come before God thinking they deserve his forgiveness. And there's those who come before God knowing they deserve his wrath. You find that in some biblical examples. One in particular that comes to my mind is Luke 18, 9 through 14. The Pharisee thinks, because of his spiritual resume, that he deserves God's goodness and grace and justification. The tax collector, who everybody hated, comes before God with the right heart attitude, realizing, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's nobody I could say, God, I thank you that that I'm not like that guy. Instead, I am that guy. I am him. I need his mercy and his grace. I remember back, October's kind of a month where I remember a lot of things from uh, growing up playing football. And I know looking at me, some of you are surprised and shocked that I didn't do gymnastics or the ballet. (laughs) But I grew up playing football. And what we would do in uh, junior high, we call it middle school here now, I guess, but we would take the last practice of the year, and the big dudes like me, we would, they would allow us to play the smaller guys' positions. So I got to play safety, the last practice of the year. And one of our biggest guys was playing running back. And I remember it took a lot of us to tackle this guy. He wasn't fast, he might have gotten like an inch of yardage on his carry. But I remember tackling him, I'm like there were six or seven of us bringing this guy down, and I remember being at the bottom of that pile thinking, man, man, my arm kind of hurts. Man, this this guy's a heavy dude. And all of a sudden I pull my arm out and I look at my arm and it's literally shaped like this. And it wasn't until I looked at my arm that I realized how bad it was. I mean, it's not every day you see bones sticking out of your arm, right? So I see my my bones, and what did I do? I was like, wow, praise God from whom all blessings flow. (laughs) Praise Him, all creatures here below. What did I do? I didn't know the Lord at the time, so I said a few expletives that are now under the blood of Jesus, amen? And I remember just freaking out when I saw that. I saw the condition of my arm And I was like, wow. I started panicking, started shaking. I started going into a panic. And I think this is what, from time to time, we need to do when we come before God, and there's nobody who boasts when they understand the holiness of God. There's nobody who comes before God and recognizes God as he's presented in the Bible and comes before him and says something like, God, I'm just such a good guy, aren't I? That's just not what we do. When we see ourselves honestly before God, we recognize I'm in a really bad condition and I desperately need God's grace and mercy. And I recognize there's none good. In case you think you're the one, no, not one. Romans 3.10, Psalm 14.3. So remember this, reminders about the character of God gives us an authentic walk with God. So notice here in verse one, verses one and two again. Take a look at these words. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The very deepest recesses of his heart. This makes me think of John four. The woman at the well goes back to her town. Let me tell you about a man who knows everything about me. Let me tell you about him. He knows everything about me. And, and I think of this And I think, because God knows everything about me, I can cry out to him honestly. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy or to my supplications, depending on your translation. And I'm gonna show you why he can cry out to God like that. There's certain things you have to believe about God if you're gonna cry out to God like that. So second thought is this. When we see God as our safe space, will understand the nature of God's character and his forgiveness. Look at verses three through four. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The answer to that is nobody, obviously. But with you, with God, second person plural here, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So there's a little play on words here. In the first part of the verse, and this is important, because we're reading it in an English Bible. We're not reading it in Hebrew. So the original audience would have read this a little bit differently. They would have had a better background than we have. So in the first part of the verse, the psalmist refers to God as Yahweh, referring to God's eternal character. The second part of the verse, he refers to God as Adonai, which points to God's authority and God's sovereignty. So the point is this. If this God, who sees everything we do, including our hearts, including our motives, including our actions, and hears everything we say, all of that, and he judged us accordingly, then we're toast, we're toast. We're in a real bad predicament there. Seeing yourself in the light of God's holiness never causes us to boast. And Pastor Russell, Pastor Mark, have been talking about this on Sunday morning. Uh, when, and we're going to really get into this, especially in 2 Corinthians 12, probably Sunday, where Paul talks about this whole issue of boasting. He uses that word a lot. Think of 1 Corinthians 1. Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This whole idea of boasting. I and mean, if we come before God and understand who he really is, and you recognize your sin, here's what happens, we fall on our face before him. And this whole notion that I hear people say sometimes, I, I have students sometimes tell me this, you know I get before God one day, I'm gonna ask him a bunch of questions. And I would just say, read Job 38 through 42 and ask how that turned out for Job. <laughs> ask Moses how it turns out when you come into the very presence of God. Read Isaiah 6, 4 through 6, when Isaiah comes into the very presence of God. And look at his heart's attitude when he is before him. Notice here in verse 4, the psalmist now points to the very character trait of God that God first revealed back to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. What is God like? You don't want to know what God's like? I asked that question all the time when I was a kid. I didn't have an answer to that. I remember asking my parents that. What is God like? What does he look like? Who is he? What is he like? Do they see God at church? I was an unchurched kid. I didn't know anything about it. And I, I used to always ask, what is God like? You want to know what God's like? Obviously, you find this in the Bible. But look at, look at Exodus 34, 6 through 7. I'll read this for you. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast, kessed love, faithful love, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression, and sin. Boy, we serve a great God. And he's so forgiving, and he's so merciful. And I hope in my own heart, and I hope in, in your heart today, you've thought about that, you've pondered on that, that God is forgiving, and God is merciful, and God is gracious, and God is patient. That's the God of the Bible, the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, and is, and is to come. That's the God we serve. It's the God we sing to, it's the God we pray to. It's the God we're gonna spend eternity with in worship forever and ever and ever. I want you to listen to these words of R.C. Sproul written years ago. We come to church on Sunday morning, and sometimes we look at our watches. And I know McGregor Rice never do that, but other people do, right? Beloved, when the children of Israel, when the people of Israel were standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the lightning flashed, and the thunder roared, and God approached in a dense and thick cloud, nobody looked at their watch. They were terrified. The word of God says they trembled and they knew that they were in the presence of the holy. You find forgiveness in the nature and the character of God. Praise the Lord for that. You find that in his character. So now you look at the fruit of forgiveness. Now look at this. Look again at verse four. But with you there is forgiveness. So you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. That's not what it says, that's a fruit of forgiveness. But there's a different emphasis here. So that you may be feared. Now don't miss this. In other words, what he's saying here is this. So that God can have the rightful place in our lives. Where God's not a spare tire, and God's not an afterthought, and God's not a life insurance plan, and God's not an eternity plan for you. Where God is everything to us. So that you may be feared so that we understand God is not just a component of our life, of our lives, and he's not just somebody we have in a certain room of our home, he's everything to us. And we can echo the words of Paul in Romans 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever and ever, amen. There's a reverence and there's an awe in our hearts when we fear God. And there's even, we're careful about how we talk about him. We're careful how we sing about him. We're careful about how we share him. We want to be biblically accurate. We want to make sure that what we say about God matches with his word. I like what the Puritan John Owen wrote years ago. Great love springs out of great forgiveness. So if you have a great love for God tonight, it's because you've been forgiven of much. And let's think in our lives of the woman in Luke chapter seven where Jesus says she loves much because she was forgiven much. Now, can I can ask this question tonight and I, I get no commission at all for a number of raised hands here, okay? Um, how many of you when God saved you, he forgave you of a lot of sin? Let me see your hands. My hand's way out. A lot. I never want to get over that. I don't want to dwell on the past, but I do want to dwell on the goodness of God, that he's forgiving. I need to be reminded of that every single day. Great love springs out of great forgiveness. If you truly believe God has forgiven you of much, then you're going to want to love him much with your life. I pray that's true in each of our hearts today. Let's look at another reminder here about the character of God that gives us an authentic walk with God. When God is our safe space, number three, we'll have confident hope in God. Hope is such an important word in the Old Testament. I wanna unpack that just for a little bit. Look at verse five, if you would. I wait for the Lord. Notice how many times he says wait. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord great passage to quote when you're sitting in Fort Myers traffic. More than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. Three times that I counted, maybe you count more, but I counted three that you find the word wait in these two verses. There's a confident longing. There's a confident waiting. Waiting that the psalmist has in God. Now look where his hope is. So every time you see the word hope, in particular in the Old Testament, you wanna think of the word expectation. So what does hope mean? Think of Psalm 62 verse five, real important verse when it talks about the word hope. My hope, my expectation comes from him, okay? It comes from God. So if my expectation in life comes from politicians, I will be gravely disappointed. Into that all God's people can say, if my hope and my expectation in life comes from my vocational career, then I will be disappointed. Into that all God's people can say. And if it comes from my financial worth, then I'm going to be really disappointed. Into that all God's people can say. Because that ebbs and flows, that comes and goes. But the character of God never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and for how long? Forever. I've been doing, um, in our school, um, about three days a week, I do devotionals for uh, elementary, middle, upper school. And when I do a devotional for the lower school, it is one of the most precious times. I I love those times. I love doing devotionals for um, any Class uh, age range, but this is particularly special when I uh, go over with them. Uh, I put up several different pictures. I put up a picture of the Super Bowl. How many would love to go to the Super Bowl? I'm sure many of you would like to go to the Super Bowl. I'd like to go see the Bears play in the Super Bowl, but that's not going to happen, okay, anytime <laughs> in the next 30 to 40 years. So, um, I put up a picture of like Messi. Who would love to go see Messi play soccer? And to this day, I've tried. My daughter played soccer. I just don't understand soccer. I, I've tried. Sometimes it's just not in your DNA. How many of you would like to, and I put up a picture of LeBron. How many of you would like to go see LeBron play? I don't want to see LeBron play because I think Michael Jordan was better than LeBron. Into that, all God's people would say. <laughs> okay. But the kids love it. Then I put up a Christmas tree. All these gifts. How many of you know what you want for Christmas? Boy, that's not like taking prayer requests there. They all know what they want for Christmas, and some of the requests are very interesting. And Then I ask this, how many of you think Mr. Hess still plays with toys that he got for Christmas in third grade? Oops, then it gets really quiet. And my point with that is this, that all fades. And then we look at Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Don't you want to live for something or someone that lasts forever? And, And praise God, if God gives you abilities to use for a short little interval of time, praise God for that. Use it for his glory. Point to him. Serve others with that. But make it about him. Make it about him. Don't you want... Like this very day, since we know as Christians we take the Bible seriously, tomorrow's not promised. Our next breath is not promised. So don't we want what we do today to count for eternity? Wouldn't that be awesome? And as a follower of Jesus, you get to do that. You get to make what you do last forever, for all of eternity. And he compares his longing, this waiting, and so much, and we have to accept this because this is biblically what we believe, so much of what we believe has not been made sight yet. I remember Pastor Russell said this one time uh, in a sermon, and I gave a loud hearty amen to this. He said, uh, by the way, he goes, I have never seen the resurrected Jesus. And by the way, neither have you. Amen? All right? But one day you will. Amen? You will. That faith has not been made sight yet. We wait for that. We wait. We long for that. And he compares this longing for God with guardsmen anticipating a morning sunrise. So I want you to think right now of specific promises of God you're longing to see fulfilled. I mean, even this very day, what promises are you meditating on? What promises of God from his word? Not sentimentalism, not emotionalism, but ironclad promises from his word. What are you meditating on right now? What are you thinking of? What are you longing for? I think of a new body. Boy, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? A new body raised in the likeness of Jesus. What an awesome promise. I think of eternally worshiping the Lord without any hindrances of temptation and sin. I've not experienced that yet. But praise God, it's going to happen. It's gonna be awesome. Think of these promises. One day our faith will be sight. In life has a wise and calming perspective, and I need more of this in my own life, because I have to confess, there are things that I let get me out of sorts in life that I shouldn't. But a biblically wise perspective has expectations set on what God has promised, not what I expect as a human being or, an, or a Western American. We have to set our promises on what, what exactly has God promised? What are my expectations in life? What are they? And I have to make sure that my expectations in life coincide with what God actually promised in his word. And I, you know, there's people who know the Bible far better than I do um, and have read it a lot more than I have. But so far in 32 years of being a Christian, uh, I've never read anywhere where God promised me an easy life. And I don't think you have either. But I do take to heart, I pray, the words of Jesus going back again to the last night of his life, telling his followers, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. Is that true? Yes, from the words of Jesus, it's the word of God. But take heart, you haven't overcome the world. Money hasn't overcome the world. My Chicago Cubs have not overcome the world. My strength has not overcome the world. He has overcome the world. That's where our hope is. That's where our trust is. So, those who live with a wise perspective, if you take a look at these words again, wait for the Lord. And he says here, my soul waits, and in his word, I, expectations, I hope, these are my expectations. My soul waits for the Lord. So in the ups and downs, the mountains, the peaks, the valleys, through just the ebbs and flows of life that we all go through, we wait for him. We wait for him. And here's the great thing we can trust. God will always be faithful. He'll always be faithful. He'll He'll always be faithful to his word. We struggle with that because we've been lied to in life by people, by politicians, by people who have said maybe they loved you. But you know this, I hope. God will never lie to you, and everything God says is true, and you can bank your soul on that. So why don't we just immerse ourselves in this truth then? Let's immerse ourselves in this truth as much as we possibly can. So why should you hope in the Lord? Do you have good reason tonight to place all your expectations on him? I think you do. In fact, I know you do. I know I do. Do you have good reason tonight to place all your expectations and your hope in his word? God is always faithful. Every single day we're reminded of that in his word. We wait for him. So reminders about the character of God gives us an authentic watch. Walk- Let me give you one last thought here. When God is our safe space, you accept God's invitation to forgiveness. I want you to look at verses 7 through 8. And a lot of these Psalms of Ascent do this. If you look at the first two verses, it's second person, plural. He he continues that again in verses 3 and 4. You have a new paragraph here in verses 5 and 6 where he's personal now, talking about himself. And now he makes an open invitation. Look at verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, think back to Exodus 34, 6, and 7, there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Why is God so forgiving? That's who he is, it's his character. Why is God so good? It's who he is. That's his character. Notice these words. With the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. Again, this is God's Hesed love for us. His covenantal, faithful love, speaking in this immediate context of Israel. And we know as Christians, it's not like the New Testament never says anything about the love of God. We could go on all day about this one. But just meditate on this for a moment. First John 3, 1, behold what manner, what kind of love the Father has bestowed or lavished on us. us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. People like us, people like me, people who mocked him, people who said his name in vain, people who wanted nothing to do with him, but God righteously, graciously, sovereignly, powerfully intervened in my life and I wanted nothing to do with him and drew me to himself. What kind of love is that? That's amazing love. That ought to change the way we sing about it in church, right, friends? This is amazing love, and I never want to get over it. God's love for us does not depend on my performance, praise God. That's not something I'm always proud of. I dead sure don't deserve it. It's not what I've earned, not what I've merited. And praise God, his love doesn't depend on my circumstances or feelings. It depends on the truth of his character. It's who he is, and he'll never change. How is God forgiving? Take a look at this. You find the, the why and the how. Oh, okay. Israel, verse seven hope in the Lord. Again, God is, he constantly reminds them in, a, in a, a group of people who had so many ups and downs, so much rebellion, a history that has a lot of bad chapters to it. If you don't believe me, read 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. It's all over the place. Just these, these ups and downs that they have. And, and they had prophets like Jeremiah who would remind them, look, if you continue in this, there's going to be consequences with it. If you continue in this. And yet they rebelled. And there were consequences. And yet God tells them, hope. Place your expectations in the Lord. Now look at verse 8. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. How is God forgiving? They were looking forward to this. We look behind. Jesus' death on the cross is a full, satisfying payment for our sins. I think at 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. All of them, past, present, and future. Justice being satisfied as God's the Father's wrath is poured out upon the Son on the cross as an all-atoning sacrifice for us. We are justified, we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are adopted. And one day, God will take us home to glory. I trust you believe that with all of your heart. And it's not because of you, and it's not because of me, and it's not because God looked down on Michael Hess and said, boy, that guy really deserves me. It's not because of that. It's because of who God is and his goodness and his kindness and his mercy. So let's give him praise tonight. We can be authentic. We can be humble. We can be genuine. We can care more about praising him than how people perceive our performance. We can be open and genuine before him and we don't always have the most polished of prayers and, and, and it's not about impressing people and, and, and it's not about people walking away saying, boy, how great that person was. And as Pastor Russell talked about this a couple weeks ago, we walk away understanding how great God is. Amen. That's what lasts forever, the greatness and the goodness of God. And we come boldly before him, knowing who he is, forgiving, compassionate, long-suffering, patient, and knowing how he is with us, gracious, kind, and forgiving. And praise God, we belong to him. And I pray we never want to get over that truth. And I pray that'd be a great comfort to all of us.